Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the HBO Max series, Julia. We are joined today by Chris Kaiser, who is the showrunner and executive producer of the series, as well as Daniel Goldfarb, who is the show creator. And in, in working together on this show and your collaboration, I was really interested in how you landed on the end point to where you wanted to come in and tell the story, because obviously with the richness of having several episodes and a whole season, there's a lot of time to really dive in. And, you know, we're kind of going past the time where Julia Child was studying and, and studying culinary arts and the point where she really just has this idea for a television show and that's the real crux and drive of the series. And so what made both of you think that that was the perfect inroad to kind of bring us into and then develop the series from? Well, I mean, there is that incredible moment when Julia appeared on I've Been Reading and at the spur of the moment, instead of telling stories about her time in France, decided to make an omelet on TV and basically change television as we know it. And it just felt like that was where the show had to start. And it felt like a great way to explore that time period in America, to explore the sort of role reversal in the child's marriage, to explore the birth of food television, um, and to explore sort of a lot of changing uh, norms in American society, it really, and then knowing that we, that we didn't have to do sort of a biopic where we had to cover every major moment in her life, that we had eight hours to tell one year, we really decided the first season of our show would be about the first season of a show. And we had a kind of meta experience in a way as we were sort of figuring out how to go from pilot to a full series the same time Julia was trying to figure out how to go from pilot to a full series. It was, what was really interesting for us is it posed this challenge and, it, and I think it's a challenge to anyone who writes a biography, which is, so we picked this inflection point where everything is different after from before but we had to be really careful, we tried to be really careful, not to give it any sense of inevitability. That the truth is obviously we live life going forward, we have no idea what's gonna come next and the childs absolutely did not. I mean, when Julia appeared on I've Been Reading or even when they made the pilot of this show, she did it in a, in a tiny station in a mid-sized city, city in America but no expectation of what might have happened. So we, we wanted to avoid all of the biopic cliches of saying you're going out there, nobody and coming back a star. They didn't know that, they didn't expect it. And at every point we tried very hard to, to dramatize the uncertainty of it, as opposed to the sense that they were heading towards some, some point that they saw on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And that idea of uncertainty is really interesting because we do get to see Julia having self-doubts along the way, but her, her self-doubt is never that the concept isn't a good idea and that it's not going to connect to audiences. It's, it's certain kind of inflections and internalized moments within herself. And, and we also get to see the beauty of her marriage and the support system that she had in Paul through that as well. Um, and so how did you want to explore that, that idea of, of self-doubt, but at the same time, her also being someone who had a lot of confidence in, in, in a real gut instinct that she was onto a good idea with this show? I mean, I think you've answered the question. <laughs> I mean, I think what we really wanted to do was show the evolution of a marriage, that we start with a, a wonderful, beautiful working marriage, but a sort of old-fashioned 1950s idea of a marriage. And in this second act for both of them, and in this role reversal for both of them, their marriage becomes a modern marriage. So that was always sort of, so in a way, that's what Julia is navigating more than confidence in the idea of the French chef. 
Um, and to see how she brings Paul along and how Paul kind of steps up, uh, I think is part of the, you know, the beauty of, of her story. Mm-hmm. Was it easy to kind of find that that journey of the support that Paul has, the way that he really helps in creating the vision of the show, but making sure that it was always clear that, you know, this was her inception and her idea, you know, the collaboration elevated it, but that the genesis was really always driven by her. Yeah, that was one of the challenges. That's absolutely the challenge of, of the, the series to to how to dramatize a partnership is not a, an easy thing to do. We spent a lot of time, I think, on the show, in addition to everything else, doing, I guess, what people say is how the sausage gets made. So exactly what, who designed what, how, what did it mean for Paul to design the show, the, the set, <coughs> um, to come up with the ideas together. That stuff was necessary for us. I mean, there's an interesting change in the series between episode one and all the other episodes. In episode one, Paul is a kind of a true antagonist. He doesn't believe in television. He doesn't think this is the right thing to do. But he, be, he gets on board in the end because, not because he believes necessarily in the medium, but because, and it still relates to your other question, he believes in the goal. He believes that food and good food and eating well is really part of a good life. And that if they could, if America could be taught how to eat better, that they would live better. That's a little bit of an elitist point of view. And they were elitist, let's be honest, uh, even though they spoke to the masses. He believed in that. And once he believed in that, he was fully on her team. And then our job was to find those dramatic moments where they weren't exactly aligned and where he came on board, where he took the lead, as in the, the a chapter where he makes bread and writes a chapter of the book for her. But that balance, we were, we were dealing with the same question that they must have been dealing with, which is who leads, who follows, where do you walk side by side? It's, it's not easy to do. And we adjusted it in every episode. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, in, in the research that we did, what, you know, what's fascinating about them is that even though they were kindred spirits and even though their love story is one for the ages, they were very different. You know, Paul was an essentially private person and Julia loved being a public person. So we were able to just sort of figure out ways to dramatize their differences and how they worked through their differences through their love for each other. I'm also really interested in in the genesis of the language of the show because obviously there's a lot of video footage of Julia, there's her writing, there's a lot of spaces to really take the language that she really used in in day to day and on camera. You know, there's there's research elements to pull some of it up with Paul, but then you're taking that idea of like who was Julia in front of the camera or when she was writing things for public consumption, and then who was she off of camera in the conversations behind closed doors in the private moments, and you know the language. Is going to be similar, but with certain inflections that are a little bit different because it's not a presentation, it's not a performance. And so how did you find the, the language for her in that regard with the research and, and also kind of similarly with the supporting characters as well? I mean, they're, the, the childs were theatrical people. They were really witty. They were letter writers. They loved language. They loved wit. Um, so it was really fun. Um, and even when they're private, it, like the thing about Julia is she was herself. Um, it's not put on a different persona when she was in front of the camera. So some of that, some of that language and from some of that footage, we got to sort of use, we got to use this, the tone and the style of that language all through the show, even in quieter private moments. We didn't quote Julia. We, we didn't try to do like, like squeeze in famous lines of Julia's into the show. We just tried to take the essence and the spirit of the way she spoke and put it into the dialogue. I think you're also hitting on something that was really important for us. 
which is that I mean, she's a famous person. Um, there are lots of books written about her. There's a lot of videotape of her, but she's not famous like Jackie Kennedy or Marilyn Monroe. We don't know everything she did. And that gave us this opportunity to create the private Julia where her essence is the same, but the truth of the moments is unknown and use imagination to fill in the blanks. And so we, we always said it was a little bit like when Peter Schaffer talked about Amadeus. Um, we said it was the Amadeus version, which is not what we know happened, but what might've happened. And we're willing to put ourselves on the line and say, this is probably some version of what happened because you can intuit from everything around it. And so, and that was really fun for us is to say, this is, a, this is not a true story precisely. It's a little bit of a fable. We have made up some stuff, the private, but the private Julia has a vivid life and it is not the same absolutely as the public Julia, right there. She's, she's not putting on a face on camera, but she's obviously not expressing all of her fears and uncertainties in dealing with her private issues. We were, we were able to fill that in in a way that I think was, was in some ways the most freeing and exciting part of the process. Yeah. And something I've really enjoyed in the season is that opportunity to watch her begin making a television show, you know, go into making that first episode and and for a lot of things to not be working in the way that she wants them to and seeing what goes in behind the scenes, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, Chris, about how the sausage gets made um, in essence, and then getting to see that it's not the moment that she does the second episode, that everything's smooth and everything is completely perfect, but that it's a real evolution and an arc that kind of plays out as she does more and more shows, figuring out more and more details. And so how did you shape out that arc and that evolution of episode by episode that she's making of her show? You know, what are the spaces where her and the rest of the crew kind of start to really find and finesse the voice of the show and, and a lot of the details that go into making it? Well, we tracked that. We had, we, we, we had a writer's room with amazing writers, um, all of whom have written episodes. And we sat and we did it episode by episode, and before we started the season, we filled in the blanks about how that show, one of, one of the arcs of the season that needed to be planned out was, how do they figure out how to make the show? I mean, the best first example is episode two, which Daniel wrote as a kind of noises off, a version of you see the rehearsal, then you see the real life performance and where one goes right and one goes wrong. But even after that, the question of how she learns to work with the camera, how Russ figures out, um, to use the mirror shot. All of those things were plotted out from the beginning. So we knew that there was an arc to the expertise that, that brought us from beginning to the end. And very purposely, that last episode is a kind of perfect French chef episode. She gets it exactly right in, in episode eight. And, and did it also involve a lot of studying very meticulously, a lot of footage of her and how she, you know, having Sarah Lancashire as Julia Child moving in the same way that she would within the kitchen. Okay, now she would probably go here. Now the camera is going to track over to this space and really wanting the performance and the camera to kind of mirror what was on the show in, in reality as well. I mean, yes and no. I mean, we watched, I watched a lot of French chef episodes, like a ton of them. And when I started writing, I was, I also cooked. I decided to like walk, put it on my computer, bring it to the kitchen and sort of cook with Julia to sort of just get the voice, the body language in my head, especially when I sat down with the pilot. Um, but Sarah's process was Sarah's process. I know she watched a ton of Julia footage. But we never said, watch this or look at this or do this for this episode. We just trusted her that she would come in and knock it out of the park. And she always did. Yeah. 
And and how did you make the the choices in how you wanted to film a lot of that behind the scenes things, how you wanted to bring the audience into those moments, how you wanted us to kind of view and move around the studio setting as they're going through the rehearsals and as they're going through the filming of the show? Well, we wanted to show different aspects of production in different episodes. We realized we couldn't show everything in the same episode. So for example, in episode six, you see her in the editing room. Uh, and in episode four, you see the mirror shot, as Chris was saying. And there are also famous, um, Julia writes about in the early days of The French Chef, they were, there were episodes where she didn't finish the recipe. There were episodes where she finished 10 minutes early and had to just sort of improvise because she there was more time on the clock. So we tried to find all those moments, but not put them all into one episode. So that by the end of the season, you would get a sense of all the different sort of discoveries that they made and how they sort of design the footprint of what all food television is now. But the cinematic, the cinematic language of the show is not an attempt to recreate something else. In the same way as Sarah's performance is not an imitation of anything, it's just the essence of it. Charles, who, Charles McDougall, who directed the pilot in the first and second episode, Melanie Mayron, who directed the third, particularly because those were the early episodes, they began to develop the, the language, the visual language of the show that was specific to, to this version of Julia, which we hope conveys the essence of, but is in no way attempt to, to suggest a kind of documentarian approach to the thing. We did not have that. And we did lots of research and then we put it aside and said, what's the story we want to tell? I really love that. And, and with that idea of the essence of her as well, it's got such great comedic sensibility, both in the show throughout with all of the supporting characters, but then also really capturing, you know, the, the charisma and the comedy that came from Julia Child herself as well. And so how did you find the, the comedic tone of the show? And, and was it very much driven by Julia's voice in a lot of regards, even when it's other characters' comedic sensibilities as well? I mean, I think that is, that's exactly right. It was driven by Julia's voice and also Julia's attitude and Julia's way of looking at life that she was, you know, like in, I think a lot of comedy, she was, she's an optimist and the show I think is optimistic and aspirational. And, but we didn't, we, you know, what's tricky with Julia or the challenge with Julia is it's easy to sort of push it and go a little broad with it. And especially when we knew we had someone like Sarah, who is, you know, one of the world's great actors, that we had to be, that the comedy all had to come from a real place, just like all the drama had to come from a real place. And because Julia is so larger than life, uh, there's a version of her story that can be really sort of big. And, uh, and we tried to really keep the show at a human scale. We also, by the way, we have these other, I mean, David Hyde Pierce, B.B. Yeah. Newworth, Fran Kranz, you know, Fiona, Jefferson Mays. We had this cast of, uh, of amazing comic and dramatic actors and their voices also came through. I mean, this is definitely a process. For, I mean, the thing we began with is not what we ended up with and the way we began to write and the show developed has, has everything to do with all of those voices. As is always true, I think, in television and good television is that well, I don't should say good television, I shouldn't be saying that, but you know what I mean, T television, that we, that we becomes a part, everyone's voice becomes a part of the chorus. 
Yeah, you know, and, and with the supporting cast, it's it's not only that you've got such amazing people that you're just mentioning, but it's also the way that you've really developed these characters. So if we take Fran Kranz's character, there's a version in which he could just be the very disgruntled producer who didn't want to work on the show and then softens. But we really get to see, well, where does that come from? What were his career aspirations? What was the roadblock that he saw in coming to working on this show? What's his relationship with his wife when he leaves work at the end of the day? So we're not even just seeing him in the studio setting was it important to both of you from the get-go to make sure that when we have those supporting characters whether it's his character whether it's the character of Alice that we really kind of always see the the behind the scenes with them as well and not just with Julia and Paul I mean absolutely we wanted all of our uh supporting characters to have arcs you know we didn't want anyone to ever feel like they were the sounding board for Julia or the sounding board for Paul that everyone got to move through this year and grow and learn and change and, and aspire. And that was important for, and we had the actors that could do it. So we wanted to, you know, when you have amazing actors, you want to give them stuff to play. Yeah. Have lives beyond just the relationship with Julia. We were very, um, very intentional in, for example, making sure that Paul's relationship with Avis is developed as is Paul's relationship with Judith as is, Avis's relationship with Alice and eventually Russ's relationship with Judith. That in doing that, it I think it just felt like it was a community of, of people who were who weren't they were there because of Julia. But but even though you couldn't spend as much time, you knew behind those doors there was a lot more going on. The doors that weren't completely opened. And I think that's that's more fun. Yeah. And with what you were both saying earlier about Sarah's performances, Julia, you know, she's so phenomenal at capturing those really nuanced inflections that give you so much more detail in every single moment. But also, like you said, she's captured kind of the larger than life elements of Julia, but also the intimacy of her, her as a character. And it's not a documentary. It's it's an interpretation. And so what were a lot of the conversations that you had with Sarah early on in really laying the groundwork and building that foundation, you know, especially since, like you said, you weren't just, you know, saying, watch this, try to repeat this, that you really wanted to find the essence of her as a character together. So I think Daniel hinted at this. They weren't really, those conversations didn't happen and they didn't need to. They, we, and, and Sarah's like this. She doesn't like to talk about it very much. And that's not a, that's not a, I know you don't know. It's a, yeah. the process is very internal and she's got to absorb the character and then it comes out to her pores. And she was very trusting of the scripts. It's not as if, so the conversation with, didn't have to be about storylines, but how she was able to convey those contradictions in Julia and the way she balanced those things and the comedy and the drama, that's her. Right. I think in the end, what you saw was Sarah's interpretation of Julia um, as as, you know, as navigated through the scripts that were that that we wrote. Obviously, directors were involved as well. It's not it's not that she doesn't take direction, just takes direction. But the conversation we did not have broad creative conversations. We didn't need to with Sarah. I kind of really love that. And it, it speaks to why she was the perfect person to cast in this role. And you've done such a fantastic job with this series. So congratulations on everything. And thank you so much for sharing all of this detail. Really appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate really it. Nice to talk with you.